And that jarring cacophony with a remix tells you that you're listening to the Power of Three podcast. We're three grumpy sometimes. No, we're not grumpy in the slightest. Middle-aged? Yes. Doctor Who fans? (laughs) Yeah, arguably. (laughs) Who do a podcast every now and again and share our love, whether it be the TV show, the audios, the magazines, or any of the other merchandise that may be associated with TV's longest-running science fiction television series. Today we're on location, we're not in the dead zone in Gallifrey, we're actually in the village of Crook Marsham. We are, it's which is, and, it's, and it's so nice, it's so green, it's it lovely. It is, it's just like something out of a book. Why don't you tell us who you are, mysterious other voice man? <laughs> yes, hello, hello listeners, I'm David Steele. Yes, and with me is the lovely Kenny Smith, say hi Kenny. Hi Kenny. Tom's just gone to the butchers to try and get some sausages for our tea. He might be back to join us before the end of the chat, I'm not sure. Yeah, we'll maybe ask him, even if we can't hear him, we'll, we'll give him a quick shout and ask him if he could maybe tell us about something. But yes, we're in this lovely picturesque village that looks like it's something out of a book, so we've yes. decided... We have decided. We're going to talk about books, but in specifics... The Doctor Who New Adventures with the 7th Doctor and the 8th Doctor for one, published by Virgin Publishing from 1991 through to 1997. The 90s, amazing. Yeah. Dave, I would say where were you in the 90s, but that's quite a very, very (laughs) open area because when I started the New Adventures in 91... I was at school, I was in fifth year, and when they finished, I was working. Yeah, I was the same. When the first couple came out, I had I'd left school. I left school in 91, and I was doing doing a media studies course at Reed Care College in Paisley. I can't read and I don't care. And by the time the last one came out, which was, what, 97, I had not long left Abbey National. So it's which, and, you know, six years when you're that age is a gulf. It's lifetimes, you know, there's all sorts that went on. So, and... and I'm sure we'll talk about that as we go along. Yeah. So, I suppose we start at the beginning. This isn't going to be a complete, thorough examination of every single title. Listeners, don't worry. We're just going to we'll go through reminisce the about the ones that that, that stick out. Yeah. yeah. It's a meditated highlights, as you mm. were. It's the ones that we ones that particularly stick out in the brain. I mean, why don't we start with the Time Worm series, the four books yeah. of Time Worm Genesis, Exodus. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, yeah, all of them. Apocalypse and Revelation. Yeah. Mr. Facetious there. (laughs) Um, So, did you buy Genesis at the time it came out? Yes, I bought it the same day that I bought Spectrum Brain Alert. Sorry, listeners, I bought it the same day I bought that year's Doctor Who magazine Summer Special, if memory serves, or it was about the same time. Yeah, I read it, I thought it was fine. It was um, Gilgamesh and all that, that sticks in the head. I don't remember very much more about it. I remember... um, Ace remembering Paradise Towers and being like, ah, hang on. <laughs> one thing I remember, I had, a f- I had a friend at the time who was a big brother of one of my friends from school. Um, my friend from school was David Simpson, his brother Scott, and Scott worked as a librarian. He was also a bit of a Doctor Who fan, and he was all about them. I remember him enthusing to me, he's two or three years older than me, enthusing about um, the second book particularly because I'd, I'd bought the first one and read it and been a bit um, okay right but Scott I remember buying and reading the second one and enthusing to me or maybe just borrowed it from the library I'm not sure but I remember him enthusing to me greatly but getting ahead of ourselves here so what do you remember about the first one? I bought it when it came out I remember buying it in Forbidden Planet and thinking ooh this looks different yeah and then when I got it too I'm sure and then yeah. reading it and thinking oh this is different and not particularly in the most, maybe not in the way that I was expecting, because obviously we're told these are too broad and too deep for the TV screen, mm. and then we end up with some stuff where Ace is naked and trying to remember how to put on clothes, yeah. and then we've got right. handmaidens with wine being licked from parts of their anatomy, yeah, I remember that. and just think, yeah. no, this isn't grown a, up, this a, is what yeah. a child thinks is grown up and isn't. Yeah, it was a bit, um, a bit unsubtle, wasn't it? That's yeah. one, it was a bit... To use a phrase I quite often like using, it's a bit cack-handed. Was it the opening book which has a bit when the um, the seventh Doctor casts up the third Doctor? He's more technically minded than me. So I remember liking that. I liked that idea that he could. But he had him seeing Jehoshaphat, didn't he? Looking down at Sylvester's. Oh no, see that's not. No, that's not how to do it. Because that, that was a bit of a preoccupation with them when they started, wasn't it? was getting old doctors back. Because I remember the second doctor popping up in Nigel, the start of Nigel Robinson's book. And then, obviously, was it Exodus was the second one, which was a massive big sequel to the War Games, obviously, wasn't it? Yep. I mean, Exodus was, for me, by far a better book. And yeah. it's 
And it was, I think, you know, Terence well, Dix exactly, without yeah. a budget. Yeah. Um, and he, he just yeah. goes to town. And then, of course, these are the days when sequels to TV stories were, ooh, something new. Yeah. And it was quite entertaining. Yeah. And the fact we get the war chief with a field regeneration, yeah, the character right. of Blighter. That's right, because the, the line that always, I mean, this book came out nearly 30 years ago, and I, the most I've read it twice, but the line that sticks in my head was, the regeneration aborted. Do you remember that? Yeah. And you think, oh, that, I mean, it's just such an, a brilliant use of language. It just makes you think, oh, wow, what went wrong? Because he was quite a sort of deformed, sort of spindly, sort of, yeah. yeah. Aye, Exodus. The other bit I remember also is uh, the seventh doctor, um, when he's posing as one of the Germans, saying, <laughs> and I'm, I do apologise for my very bad Sylvester McCoy impression here, <laughs> I do like them big and bouncy. <laughs> That's right. Oh, God. Yeah, so the... Yeah, Exodus was a bit of FW before FW became a dirty word. So I mean, I don't remember, I don't remember too much about the Nigel Robinson book, which is the third one. But I remember Scott, who I mentioned earlier, had read because it ran a bit. The books were just were bi-monthly initially, weren't they? Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Um, there's no use nodding, Ken. It's an audio. <laughs> it's an audio uh, situation. An audio? Did you mean? An audio. Um, I remember Revelation. I remember Scott sort of. I can't, I can't remember if I'd bought it or if I'd... I think I had bought it, but I hadn't read it. And I remember Scott saying to me, of all places, at the 1991 Glasgow Airport NCP Christmas night out, saying, you know, have you got it? Yeah, you seen the cover? Yeah, well, we'll see what's going on there. And I went, well, what, Dancing with Death? Well, yeah, all right. And I remember reading Revelation, and I don't think Paul Cornell can ever get enough credit for this. He took Doctor Who to a level it had never actually been before, without without losing anything of what it what it was up until then. I mean it was it was some things annoyed me like, you know, the um the references to Jason Donovan and Unchained Melody because I think Ace had left Earth before all that was happening. But it was it was next level. I mean obviously we mentioned other doctors being back being referenced, but you know there was a whole extended metaphor about the fifth doctor was innocence being sacrificed and all that and oh I it was cracking. What's your, what's your mem- memories of Revelation? See, at the time, I found it... I, I mean, it was completely different to what I thought Doctor Who should be, because I was very much, at the time I was, what, 17? And was thinking, oh, this is so different from Doctor Who. This is not what Doctor Who is about. Doctor Who is all about monsters and battles and explosions and stuff. Mm. This is Doctor Who doesn't do emotions and things like that. And... Yes, it does. I was completely wrong. Because at the time, I've, I've sort of kicked against it and thought, no. I mean, I thought I could see there was, it was really well written. There's a great story in there, but it wasn't quite my thing. I mean, that's the thing. Right. I, I can always appreciate if something's not my thing, but I can see that it's done well, yeah. then absolutely I'll give it the plaudits for that. Yeah. But no, this this is great. I mean, I did go back and reread it years later and thought, yeah, I can see exactly so, what um, he's doing. Because it, this is setting down the template mm. for the emotional heart that, mm. that the TV series Return yeah, with. definitely, and I, I don't think I don't think Paul Connell gets anywhere enough credit for this sort of stuff. I mean, so much of the imagery and the ideas from his novels has been there's no other way of putting it. It's just been strip mined for a lot of the TV series. I mean, look at the cover of Revelation where you've got the child in the, the adult NASA spacesuit. You know, Impossible Astronaut and Matt Smith's second series. Anybody, you know, and then the idea from Human Nature, where one of the family pretends to be the next Doctor. You know, and as you say, the emotional realistic sort of not realistic's maybe not the right word for it but more core perhaps realistic you know Doctor Who in the olden days was they just didn't really do emotion it was all stiff upper lip but he brought that in in a way that didn't really detract from what what it had done before it kind of it fitted he basically he kind of let Doctor Who grow up without losing any of the indefinable magic to coin the phrase so Revelation was tremendous it's one that I read a good few times and then we moved on to Cat's Cradle, which was three interlinked books with a far looser theme than the Time Worm yes. itself was a menace. Yeah, I only read the third one at the time, for some reason. I had, I bought the first, I bought all three of them, but I think the only one I read was Witchmark. I've got a memory of sitting reading that in Glasgow Airport, waiting for the bus to go home after work. When it was a bit later on, I remember like a good two or three years later, when they were building up to the, book, the 50th book, Happy Endings, I went back and reread some of the key books and then read all the ones most of the ones that I hadn't read. So as, as we went along initially, I, was, I wasn't reading everything. But um, I went back to a point and then sort of caught up. So eventually I read 
Times Crucible and the Andrew Cartmel book. Initially, the only one I read was was Richmark. What are your thoughts on those three then? Well, I really, really loved Times Crucible. I know that a lot of people hate it, and I've never quite understood that because for me, it was some good big high-end sci-fi concept yep. you've got time words from the old days with the time skips which I thought was a brilliant idea yep. and I even remember some of the character names like Vial Voriunsti and things like that which mm. just stick in the mind I um I, I'm trying to think now when it was would have, when it would have been that I, when I got back to reading I, and I loved it I thought I was not a hater when I when I eventually got around to reading that I was not a hater in the slightest I loved Times Crucible and it's very interesting that when I was that's another one where I think some of the the imagery has been kind of ripped off. If you consider um, ripped off is too strong a word, Homa- strongly homaged. If you consider a story like Name of the Doctor, you know, with the TARDIS sort of being ripped apart and all that sort of stuff, that was another story which I think was obviously influenced heavily by the works of Paul Cornell. Those scenes at the end with all the different doctors running past Clara and all that, that put me in mind of a lot of some of the imagery and styles of Revelation. Um, but no, yeah. I really, really dug Times Crucible, and it was like two or three years after it had been published, and I was I remember being annoyed at myself for not having read it sooner, and being annoyed that people didn't like it. Yeah. And then, and then the first of um was it Warhead? Was that the first Andrew yes. Cartmel? Loved it. I mean, I'm a huge fan, of, a huge fan of Cartmel at the best of times, but I loved his three books. I absolutely devoured them. They were so. I'm not going to say trashy, but they were just so readable. Yeah, I think let's let's do the three of them just now then. Right. Yeah. Because I think we've, so we've got Warhead, War, Thing, and War. Was one of them Warlock? There's a sequence I remember in one of the Carmel books. Sitting, it's in a restaurant, and it's about and how they basically sort of defeat someone using body language. It's, it was fascinating. And then in his first one, it had all that stuff about you know, the, the near future and imminent sort of environmental collapse and it, and it was written in such a I don't want to say heightened and I, I remember like even I think the man himself described it was in interviews like the, the equivalent of like an airport sort of sex and shopping novel there was not I mean there was high concepts there was brilliant ideas but it was very accessible and it wasn't sort of it wasn't too what's the word I'm thinking of never never pretentious yeah, I mean, I think there's there's so many memorable images in that when you think like there's somebody getting smuggled in a barrel, mm. and there's you know, fluids and you know life extending stuff. The one that I really remember, I think it is in Warlock, when it's the doctors at his house in Allen Road, and he's got the cat Chick, and Chick's taken away, and they do experiments on him, the, and oh, that yeah, really that upset me. Yeah. I absolutely hated that because I just yes. thought that poor cat. Yeah. I'm a big cat lover, people, um, and that really, really got to me. And I just yeah. thought, yeah, that's talks you engaging the emotional heart. Obviously, we would never get anything like that nowadays, but it's quite, um, mm. it's quite. It was that was a really difficult read at the time because you meet this cat, obviously. You don't get to know it properly. Yeah, I haven't thought, but that's right. Yeah, yeah, and it's horrible, absolutely horrible. I mean, it's, the way it's, it's crazy done. to think how long ago these books were. As I say, I mean, I remember, I, I kind of, I kind of came and went with them initially. I read the first couple, and then um, I remember reading Nightshade. I'm really enjoying Nightshade because it's obvious Quatermass influences and stuff. I remember really enjoying that and being really angry with the Doctor at the end. Because that was one thing that was really good about it, was the strong characterisation they, they did for the Seventh Doctor. I mean, I remember, um, I came to call him the little bastard, because he was such a, an evil, not evil, he was such a, a manipulative, game-playing little, little so-and-so. And I remember um, when the books, when the new adventures were wound up, they got enough notice to do it, and they, they incorporated, obviously, some ideas and some references to the, t- the Paul McGann TV movie. This is jumping way ahead, but I remember a, a reference to um, Chris sort of thinking, well, what if you know, what if the Doctor didn't anticipate this or anticipate that and stepped out? And it was it was so organic, it was wonderful. But that, that's skipping way ahead. I remember reading Nightshade and just being really appalled at the way he treated Ace. And I think Love and War must have been quite soon after that. That was the very next book, yeah. Yeah, because I don't think I read Love and I think I, I, I have a vague memory of starting Love and War but not finishing it and it was around about that time I kind of was getting properly into comic book collecting so I had a bit of a, a year or so, a year or so a year or two and I wasn't really paying too much attention to Doctor Who but 
I remember my friend Richard reading Left-Handed Hummingbird and that brought to me and I remember being aware of DWM sort of talking about them, the, this alternate history sort of thing. So I kind of got back in and eventually, as I said already, when it came when Happy Endings was coming, I went back and filled in all the gaps. But, so I mean, did you read Love More when it came out? I did. Um, actually, let's go back mentions something about Nightshade, how much I absolutely loved that at the time. It was very much, that was the kind of... Initially, with my younger self, that was the kind of story I was looking for. Right. Something that was evocative of the TV series with a wee bit more to it. Yeah. And that's why Revelation had been a bit too far of a step for me at the time. Mm. But whereas mm. you look at something, I mean, of course, that um, that story is set in Crook Marsh and where we're sat today. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. Look at that yeah. satellite telescope there. It's just it's falling just, apart now. No, it's we'll... just, I'm surprised. I mean, they put the scaffolding up and all that and all the fences around it, but that's just dangerous. Yeah. Surprises, it's still up after all this length of time. Yeah, but no, let's uh, let's go. Uh, love and War. Yeah, I loved Love and War yeah. at the time because I straight away loved Benny, and thought such a good, strong character. I used to be an archaeologist back in the day. Fake my qualifications. Not that I really talk about that much. But when the rest of the world was battling Daleks, I was unearthing ancient, crumbling artifacts, digging up pots and coins, and oh, I loved it. Then one day, something changed. I was working with a team of mine, excavating this great old arch on a planet called... Heaven. What, really? We're on the edge of empire between human and draconian space. Heaven is host to farmers, the library, archaeologists... Archaeologists? That's what I was doing there. Digging up an ancient arch, and that's where I met the Doctor. I'd sort of... Envisaged her as being somewhere like, like it, because I think the writer's notes in DWM feature at the time had said she's got a hint of Emma Peel and Emma Thompson to her, aye, and I thought, aye. yep, I can, I can definitely get on yeah. board with that, yeah. as it were. I really, really liked Benny. I thought it was a great story. The Doctor's manipulations being stepped up yet another gear. Mm. And we just saw that the ends to which he would go to achieve his goals and obviously he suffered the fallout from that with Jan yeah now that I think about it Livermore was the first one I read when I got back into reading them during 94 that's right because I remember reading that one and Highest Science around about the same time what about Transit that was one I didn't read the first time round but I read it again on my on my second my second pass I quite like Transit I got I didn't have a problem with it at all at the time I thought yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't like it, and I didn't dislike it. At the time, I thought, yeah, this is quite a sci, quite hard sci-fi concept, which is not quite my thing. I'm definitely more fluffy around the edge of sci-fi, mm. and it was surprised. The thing that really surprised me was, given that Ben Aronovich is quite a humorous writer, there's not as much of his traditional humour that we've had in Battlefield. There's not as much as that we've had in Remembrance. But there, I mean, yes, there's there's moments in it, and we get, of course, we get to meet Kadiatu, which yeah. is a, an interesting creation as well. Yeah. I mean, the whole, the whole concept of the transit system to travel around the universe a lot more quickly, and then something gets into the system. Great idea. Yeah. And I think, and of course, it is the first new adventure to feature the F word as well. I'm trying to think. When, I'm trying to think when I read it. I mean, it, again, it was it was on my it was on the second pass. I mean, there was a few books that I didn't read the first time round. As I said already, there was a Cartman one. There was that one transit i don't have really strong memories of it i keep one of these you know i say it myself all the time one of these days i should go back and reread them all but you know will that ever happen i don't know probably not let's be honest but there's still a couple to this day that i never read i never read i never read the pit because i remember the reviews for that were awful i never read saint anthony's fire for the same and i remember i didn't read oh there was a jim mortimer one parasite yeah i didn't read that because i remember the reviews but i've read up until up until i think See, I never read Long Barrel, which is obviously the one that wound up with him. Doctor, which is shocking. I never read it, and I never read So Vile a Sin either. During ni- late, late '94, then throughout '95, '96, this was my fiction buttons, if you like, were pressed. I was alternating between reading Sherlock Holmes stories for the first time and reading The New Adventures and The Missing Adventures. I've all these memories about specific points. I remember when I started the Victoria Road Abbey National, and I, I remember reading Toy Soldiers and Zamper around there. I remember reading. Sanctuary when I was working still in the Soaky Hill Street Abbey National and I made Kenny laugh earlier when I was telling that um, when I read Sanctuary by David McKinty um, it took me six weeks and then I read the next book which was Paul Connell's Human Nature I read it in three days <laughs> you know it's, 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 it's an interesting thing thinking back to just how many how well I remember so many of the books and where I was at the time and what was going on it's it's 
more so than even a lot of the Doctor Who TV stories. It's interesting. interesting. I mean, I remember standing in this is dark. I remember standing in the queue in Greggs and Victoria Road with the plot of you know thinking about the bit at the start of toy soldiers and Bernice's sort of working at the factory or whatever and talk, you know Paul Leonard whatever happened to him his books were amazing I really really liked his you know what I mean and um, obviously Zamper which is one of Gareth Roberts ones like the high signs that, which is um, it, it really felt like you were, you were reading four episodes of you know Made in TV Centre you know yeah. it was Gareth was so good at capturing the TV series in a way that no one else really I think tried to yeah at this point I was at uni so I was getting the books as they came out from Forbidden Planet oh, yeah. in Edinburgh I was I was getting them in Glasgow because I was I did um I was doing Sundays in Forbidden Planet in Glasgow for Steve Montgomery through the back in his, in his trading card shop so the the books were put in my standing order mm-hmm. for me I got them all the time yeah, yeah. that's, I, mean, that's I, was, I bought most of the ones that I, that I missed out the first time I remember actually going in and saying right oh, all of these please Alistair you yeah. know well, I am um, I mean this is where we're now going into the alternate universe cycle where you've got the, the five yes. stories where you've got the meddling monk has changed time that's and right. these were great I really enjoyed yeah. these the fact it's something that you recognise but it's slightly different and there's things to, like we've got the Dimension Riders is Obviously, it's not Shada. Definitely, is not Shada. Douglas Adams as lawyers, but it, it kind of evokes that spirit. Right. Yeah. And there's Blood Heat, which starts it with the Silurians and the Brigadier and mm. the third Doctor has been killed in alternate air. Yeah, I remember reading Blood Heat and enjoying it. I remember reading. Um, I remember that Dimension Riders, thinking it was okay. I remember actually really struggling with his second book, Daniel Blythe. Is that right? Infinite yeah. Requiem. I didn't enjoy that one as much. Left-handed hummingbird was part of that sequence, wasn't yes, it? Yes, I can tell. Let me tell you my left-handed hummingbird story. Okay. A uni, I discovered one of my two of the guys in the course, Brian Ferguson and Andrew Cowie, were journalists and just and also huge Doctor Who fans. Right. And Brian and Andrew went to the Edinburgh Doctor Who group, and on Monday nights in the pub, and Brian kept going over the summer. And that summer, I think it was summer in '93, Kate Orman was in the UK, ah, and she right. came to Edinburgh. Ah. And Brian, who didn't read the New Adventures, but he loved the TV show. And uh, he overheard this, uh, she was saying, well, I've written this book called The Left-Handed Hummingbird. And Brian would always, and he's, he's the arts correspondent at the Scotsman in, in Edinburgh now. Right. And Brian heard the name of this, and his reaction was, oh, no, please. Oh, oh, you can't call it that. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Brilliant. Brian Ferguson, I salute you, sir. The thing that always stuck in my mind from Left-Handed Hummingbird was the... Um TARDIS landing on Titanic and the Doctor going out with a list of people who survived which was so 7th Doctor at that point, it was unbelievable. So then of course the penultimate book in the series was Conundrum by Steve Lyons. Of course, yes. Which is uh, the twist in the land of fiction fiction and it's here's all these different comic book characters and superheroes and I'd assume that'd be one that you would quite have enjoyed. Uh, yeah, um, I don't have too many strong too many strong memories of it actually because um, there was another one that Steve Lyons wrote, wasn't there? Yeah, Head Oden. Games. Head Games. I think at this long distance I think I've got them too confused in my mind but I do remember the cover of Conundrum's Ace with a Gun and it's sort of snow and the, the sort of comic book carcass type guy behind there, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, I... Um, I my memories on aren't particularly strong after a quarter of a century. I'm afraid. What kind of loser are you? I know. Get out. Ter- in that case, like, let's talk about the next book then, because you're but, so useless. But, but I remember <laughs> no future really well and really clearly, um, because it, it was. Um, I remember a really funny sequence when they showed, essentially, what it would have been like on TV, and you know, the doctor said, "There you go, Brig- there you go, Brigadier, the Vardens," and there's a big poster <laughs> for the you know the computer game, yep. which was hilarious, and then obviously the meddling monk, and then. Because it's Paul Cornell, you've got soldiers singing Iggy Pop songs because yep. Iggy Pop's cool, okay? Yep. Um, yeah. And don't forget, of course, there's the television producer who's held at gunpoint and told, <laughs> I've been persuaded to stay. Um, and then, of course, we get, um, I think there's Paul McCartney is with Wings and, and, it, uh, and the brick comes yes, in. Chat with Wings. Awful. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely rotten. <laughs> Johnny Rotten. Haha. <laughs> um, but you know, I remember quite, I'm quite enjoying No Future. I'm told that, that Paul Connell's rated it too highly himself, but I'm quite fond of it. I, it, it never, it didn't offend me or upset me in any way. Benny and the band Plasticine. That's right. Things that stick in your brain, eh? I know. So like, aye. So then, this is the age that I mean, I can this stuff. You know, I can, I can tell you pretty much what happens in every single one of them. Oh, see, a lot of them I, I'd read. I didn't read them at the. At the time, I was I was slightly behind, but I was you know catching up on a rate of knots. But I remember by the time um, 
Human Nature came out, which would have been in 95. I was pretty close behind, but they'd obviously started the missing adventures by that point, but we should probably do that separately, eh? Yeah. Hey, well, well, we do get Ace's departure, of course. Oh, right, set piece, that's right. Yep. I remember that. Yeah, that's another Kate Orman. It is indeed, yeah. Um, which is quite interesting because it ties in with the Curse of Fenric novelisation. And, and it's, it's not like she goes off to do her own time jumping, time travelling kind of thing. And I just remember at the time thinking, she's not gone, she'll be back. Mm. It, yeah, did, it, it felt unresolved. It never felt like a, a permanent sort of thing. It wasn't, it wasn't that long before she came back, was it? No. I mean, there was, we had a sequence of, obviously, I mean, she left at the end of Love and War and was away for a few books, and then she came back as, of course, the Dalek fighter, that's right, because there was the Nigel Robinson book with Absalom Dark, um, there was the David McKinty First Frontier, which is quite good, and, yeah, there's all... Uh, we should have sat with a list. Yeah, we should, shouldn't we? We're but, so well, disorganised here. But, but not to worry. This, this is, one, this is another one spontaneous. That, another one that sprung to mind that I always liked, and I wish had been adapted for audio, was Tragedy Day. Oh yeah, I remember? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, with the sort of um, the telephones, the and Richard and Judy type characters. Yeah, I remember yeah. reading that one. I I remember reading that very clearly. Yeah. Um, and the evil space hopper monsters, the slags. I remember reading that. That would have been early '95. Reading that because I hadn't started working. That was when I was unemployed after Stateside Comics closing and before I started working in Abbey National. I remember I have very clear memories of reading that on a rainy afternoon in Paisley. Yeah. But yeah, we're, we said about human nature. Yes. Yeah, as I say, the, the book before it was um, David McKinty's Sanctuary, where Ace met um, Guy or Guy or Guy de Carnac, whatever you want to call him. And um, I remember, as I say, it took me six weeks. It was like plod, plod, plod. It was, and then human nature. In many ways, the ultimate Paul Cornell Doctor Who story, and I read it in three days. And again, that's another one that's. Obviously, it's, it's the only new adventure to be adapted for TV, which says quite a lot about it. Yeah, I think it was just, it had everything, didn't it? It really was where everything had been leading to, yeah. with the Doctor wanting to know what it's like to be human. Of course. And yeah. um, a different reason for the TV version. Well, see, that's the thing. There's a really, really good Black Archive book. I wish I could remember who wrote it. I apologise. And the author does a close analysis comparing the differences between the the TV version and the book and it's very satisfying it saves you having to think about it yourself but it's very very good I loved that book I properly unconditionally yeah and I um I read it it's probably the one that I've read the most I, I, I revisited it in my angst ridden 20s I revisited it very often the thing that always struck me when they, they adapted it for television was the scene at the end where, where Wee Davy goes back to to persuade um Joan to come with him and and suggest that we can they could pick up where they left off, and that was completely different from the book. Yeah, thing is, of course, in, I think in the book the Doctor goes to see Joan and and apologises to her because he, he can't because, and then there's a scene at the end of the Doctor and the Tardis with the cat and he's crying because he's obviously realised he's lied, he's told her this and and it was so affecting it was brilliant I might even read it again. <laughs> it's, it's good I've got the the Lisa Bowerman narrated version of it right. which is wonderful. Um, you know, I, I really, really like human nature. I think there's there's so much in it. It's an awful lot of plots, and, it, and but it's the, the human heart of it is, is great, and it's and it was very much I think where Paul Cornell was writing in particular, and the new adventures had been leading just with that emotional heart that yeah. it developed and brought Doctor Who. Absolutely. These new adventures were very popular in the 90s. In fact, the first time I ever met Tom Harris, we ended up discussing them. I was working at the East Kilbride News, and Tom, who was a former East Kilbride News reporter, came in. This was 96, just before the TV movie went out. And in came this incredibly tall, young, suave, charming... He's incredibly tall, isn't he? I mean, yeah. I'm quite tall, but Tom's a giant. Yeah, let's burn him. <laughs> no, 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 let's chop him down. No, no. Anyway, Tom and I were talking about new adventures and so on and so forth. And, of course, Tom has only ever read one. Mm. Let's uh, go we'd over be, to Tom to yeah, find... Yeah, we'd better ask him what he thought about it. Yeah, Tom, tell us, what are your thoughts on Doctor Who, Human Nature, the book, by Paul Cornell? It's the only new adventure I've uh, had ever read, and I read it years after it came out, uh, because I think it was Doctor Who magazine had reviewed it, or there were fans were, were, were talking about it being, you know, uh, one of the best ones, so I thought I'll give it a go. And I did enjoy it. Um, when it came to the televised version of it, I couldn't quite remember the differences. Obviously, there were differences for a start. It wasn't Sylvester McCoy. Um, but those two episodes in the third season, the last third season, um, were two of the best. You know, for, um, Human Nature and Family of Blood. 
Uh, but the novel itself, I thought it was really well paced, really well written. Um, it was quite good adult science fiction, which at that stage I wasn't really prepared or expecting uh, from Doctor Who, because if you read the target novelizations, which is all I'd read at the time, you, you know, that's not what you read it for. You read it, you know, you just read a very slimmed down version of the television show, but this was this was quality stuff, I thought. Thanks for that, Tom. After this, of course, we get some new companions with Chris and Rose. Of course, original sin. Ross Forrester, Chris Quench, I guessed. Nice fur. I think the trade name is Body Beppling. Why would anyone want to do that? Why would anyone want to wear high heels? I thought you were on my side. I am. Yes. Well, see, I remember that was one that I... I have a vague memory that I didn't read the first appearance the first time round, but read it in my, my catch-up prior to, to Human Nature. But that'd have been insane if I didn't read that. If I didn't read that first of all, yeah, I really, I'd loved Rose, Rose and Chris. I thought they were great. Um, Chris was hilarious in his first book, the big teddy bear and all the fur got burnt off, and he still had the sharp teeth and all yeah. that. Body beppling. Body beppling. Yeah, because there was a man, there was a policeman that looked like Blue Elephant or something, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. Provost Major Bell Tempest. That's is that the right? one. There we go. <laughs> that sticks in the head. Did Did Big Finish adapt original sin? They did. Yeah. Which they, had, which they, didn't reveal the name of the villain though. That's right. Tobias Vaughn, spoilers, in the mid-90s, that when there hadn't been an awful lot of this sort of stuff, it was quite exciting. It was a great genius idea that he sort of existed, sort of... Uploaded his conscience yeah. and, uh, and put himself into a new body that just yeah. wore out, but every time he went into a new body, he lost a little bit of himself. Yeah. Um, obviously, he didn't have a very good digital copying system there, uh, which, of course, we all have in the 21st century. That's right, everything was analogue. There was some interesting stuff, as you mentioned earlier, Toy Soldiers by Paul Leonard, which is great. That whole notion of kids being taken yeah, and put to war in, genius. in an alien world. There's, there's, there's a good run in there. There's some that I remember more fondly than others. Zamper, I know Gareth Roberts does not like, but I mm. quite enjoy yeah, it. Return of the Chelonians. I was reading that one when I started at Victoria Road Abbey National, and that must have been round about the same time that I read Millennial Rights, which is one of the Missy Adventures, because I... I Always say this. I remember reading Millennial Rights today. I went to sent out to Rutherglen Abbey National to cover for a day because they were short-staffed. Um, I can't remember the other one. The other ones because there must have been Toy Soldiers, Sleepy, Sleepy. Yes, yeah. I remember because that had one, that was one of those ones when it really pushed the the Doctor's character development when he because he was driven to a really extreme. But then he starts regenerating that one, doesn't he? And fights it off. Yep. And I, yeah, I remember standing on the train reading that bit and just being like. Whoa! Yeah. Ooh. There's uh, death and diplomacy as well. Yeah. Is that the one that introduced Jason? Yes. Well, Sky Pirates as Sky, well. Yeah. Sky Pirates was a law. I'm told it. It's, I think I get the sense it's quite divisive. That not everyone likes it as much as I do. Mm. I, I enjoyed it. I found it was it was quite light-hearted and fun, and, and it felt quite season 24. Yeah. In the way that the Doctor was written with his smiley badge and his yeah. lapel and stuff like that. Yeah. Slow me po, if that's how you pronounce it. But yeah, I remember loving Death and Diplomacy. Jason, who Bernice marries in, in the Happy Endings book. That was that was a great one. I remember that was one I did reread actually a couple of times as well. And then of course, Happy Endings, which was the the big 50th anniversary book, the anniversary jam. I mean, we've missed loads out, but you know. I don't know if this is true or not, but I remember there was a rumour that at the time that uh, Paul Cornell originally wanted to call Happy Endings frock opera <laughs> with Benny in a frock so I don't know if that's true or I not no idea. it made me laugh I've no idea here's, here's a here's a better story about happy endings they did it you could send away for a poster of the cover the beautiful you know cover of, of, of the assembled wedding guests and I ordered a couple of copies and it arrived weeks later and god bless the royal mail they'd broken the, the cardboard tube in half and I couldn't even get the poster out of the tube because it was torn and, and damaged so badly so yeah there we go, there's some bitterness that lingers after almost a quarter of a century <laughs> <laughs> oh dear I know Yeah, it was, it was interesting but the problem for me is that so much of this book is centred around cricket and anybody who follows me on Twitter knows <laughs> I 
effing hate <laughs> cricket. It's not a sport. It's crap rounders. You don't play. Sp- <laughs> if you can't play sports and you want to do something, go for a walk. Don't pretend that you're being a sportsman by being a cricketer and trying to bat a ball away. Don't fool anyone. You're not kidding anyone. No contact sport. Just because you're either the tosser or the catcher, I couldn't care less. And especially, I used to listen to Talksport Drive, but I've given up because I can't stand <laughs> that in bloody golf going on about cricket all the chuffing time. So, yeah, unfortunately, I my thoughts in one book are ruined because of cricket. My memories now are reading, reading it um, very late 96. I must have been reading it because I remember getting the bus into town from Vicky Road um, and getting off and going into Missing Records to buy an Isley Brothers Best Of because of all the scenes in the book with Summer Breeze and this whole heart of mine and all that sort of stuff. I think I actually bought two Isley Brothers Best Ofs because they weren't all in the same. But I very fond memories of that, that period, late 96, when all that was sort of going on. Um, yeah, because there was all that stuff about the hit. One of the one of the Isley brothers sort of listening to it on an LP and copying the words down and yeah and then um the I, heart of mine yeah I classic so strong likes for happy endings yeah of course the thing oh, that um, came around this time which Dave and I were talking about before we started recording was the fact the New Adventures spin-off merchandise of its own at the time the soundtrack right. when that was from Cybertech who. Uh, Adrian Pack and Mike Phyllis who had done the theme for Dimensions in Time right. they'd done a CD album then they did a second one called Pharos which had music okay. inspired by the new adventures John Pertwee had done an intro in the style of the War of the Worlds All right. and there's uh, I've never heard this From where we stand now it seems inconceivable that the fragile race of humanity survived beyond the 1900s before the chaos which was to come, an invitation was dispatched to the peoples they imagined might exist beyond their own earthly domain. A voice of optimism in a world sliding into darkness. As the millennium approached, old religions and superstitions fostered an atmosphere of violence, hysteria, and intolerance. The spectre of war bestrode the planet, and in his wake the ghastly figures of pestilence, famine, and death. And then, just as mankind began to believe a new age of reason and justice had dawned, the long-forgotten invitation was answered. Sylvester McCoy's done some, Sophie Aldred did some voices, and there's tracks from that are inspired by New Adventures right. oh, okay. uh, and various ones that there's like Nightshade's theme there's another one that's inspired by David McKinty's one in the desert with the master in it First Frontier which has that brilliant bit with the master ripping his, his shirt open and he's turning into a tiger that was stuck in my head I was always a bit McKinty's books are always a bit variable but that's the one I remember the fondest you know, we didn't talk about All Consuming Fire the Sherlock Holmes one no, which, didn't. which I always felt was a game of two halves. The first half, when it was being a much more of a home sort of thing, was much more enjoyable in the second half. We should have sat down with a list and done a quick keyword chat of each one. That would have been quite <laughs> funny. Maybe that's what we'll do with the Missing Adventures. We should yeah. do, that's what we'll do with the We'll be more organised next time, peeps. So yeah. We were this just is, out for a walk and we decided to do a podcast today. Do. This is genuinely completely spontaneous. No yep. plan. We just thought we'll just talk New Adventures because we were discussing it in DWM. Yeah. Um, anyway, this final run yes. as we go into the home straight, there's the obvious one to talk about is Damaged Goods. Which, which at the time when I read it, I just thought... This is a class above everything else. I'd seen Dark Season, I'd seen Century Falls, so obviously I knew who Russell T was, mm. and just thought, there's something about this, it is just I, different. Yeah. Much as I love late 20th century Earth, what are we doing here? Smile. What? Smile, Roz. Smile. Roz and I are trained adjudicators. We have some experience in narcotics investigation. But this is no ordinary investigation. I wasn't too fond of it, to be honest. I remember um, it didn't hit, it wasn't an immediate hit with me, put it that way. I remember it was the last one that I actually read, because by that, around about the time I read it, I was finishing working in Abbey National, so I wasn't commuting. And a couple of months before I wasn't doing anything before I started working with Clyde Action. And that was when I paused, essentially. So I think it was Death of Art, the next one. 
It was, I think it may be runabout, runabout then. Run then, yeah. Because I, there was two or three that I mean, I, I cheated and read the Dying Days when it came out, but I didn't read the next two or three. I, I remember reading and enjoying stuff like um, Christmas on a Rational Planet and Return of the Living Dad. Damaged Goods. Controversially, I wasn't the biggest fan mm. of it. What about God Engine? See, I quite enjoyed that one because I like Ice Warriors. And yeah, it was okay. Um, I found Craig Hinton's book sometimes to be a wee bit disposable. But I mean, I said, as I said already, I love Millennial Rights. Big fan of that one. Not so much a fan of the the Crystal Bucephalus, but we can talk about that when we yep. do the. But no, yeah. I, I, are you surprised that I wasn't a fan of that? I am Goods? a bit surprised because yeah. I thought that I thought it'd be up the street because it's again, it's got that. You're the template laid down by Cornell. It's got a good emotional heart yeah. to it, and there's quite a and there's a very strong story running through I it. I mean, I was a bit surprised in, in DWM when Russell T Davis said that he didn't feel there was too strong a connection between the new adventures and the, the modern TV series because I thought I was like mm, because Damaged Goods is the one that's I think closest to what Corny Paul, as we used to call him, had done, and it really built on the foundation of what he'd laid yeah. down and bringing it that sort of urban realism that he kind of brought in with you know. With what he did, he'd done with Ace and stuff, Ace with the so, council estate and yeah, the Tyler family. Yeah, exactly. And um, and I think like, yeah, damaged goods. It was. It, I remember liking it, but equally not liking it. I felt like all the stuff about the um, the what was it called? The waveform thingy. The inform. The inform. I remember that being a bit. Mm, I didn't. I, to be honest, I don't think I really understood it. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I was a bit. I, what? And I remember the um, I found all the stuff about the the children a little unpleasant, a little unpalatable for me. It was a bit of a, a bit too broad and a bit too far. Yeah, it it, it left surprise surprise because you know as much as I, as I love what Russell did in TV, it left me a bit cold. Interesting. Mm. Now, of course, you said you haven't read Survivor Sin. Didn't which... read Survivor Sin. I didn't read Death of Art. I didn't read the one where Perry came back. Bad Therapy is, for me, it's one of the best of the lot. Right. You've got these dolls, I think they're called, mm-hmm. that come from the future and they bond with people and take on the form of a, a loved one who their their bonding partner has lost. Right. And they've been sent there and they symp- you know, sympathise them and comfort them. Okay. But there's people from the future who are coming back to kill these dolls and take them out. So it's effectively... And the dolls become effectively become the people who they're there to replace okay and there's this group going around to kill and for me it's so how does Perry get involved or does that spoil it if I haven't read it she comes back from the future she escapes from your Canos's company and no they come back don't don't tell me too many of the details because I'll I will. This conversation yeah. might prompt me to go back and read the ones that well, I didn't, because there was was there not one with Liz Shaw as well. Yes, that's uh, by Jim Mortimer yeah, on the moon. I don't think I read that one either. That's terrible. I'm going to have to go back and sort of figure out where I stopped and which ones I didn't read. And I'm trying to think why. I think it's because when I left, I remember when I when I left the bank, I wasn't commuting, and I remember during 1997, I got really heavily after a couple of years of lull after I'd stopped working in the comic shop I got back into comics in the grand style in 1997 because I was still picking up stuff like Sandman Mystery Theatre and Green Lantern and Starman and eventually got around to reading them and so Doctor Who and then it was around about the time that the books were ending for Virgin anyway I think because I hadn't enjoyed Damaged Goods as much and I remember stalling on the death of art that's where it kind of broke that what broke it, it broke the momentum basically mm. do you actually own brought, all of them though? yeah Mm-hmm. You did buy them all at the time, so yeah. you still have them on the shelf, yeah. which is good. I've got them all. I think the only ones that I don't have are the aforementioned St. Anthony's Fire, Parasite, and the other one that I've now forgotten, The Pit. That's I think you can pick them up from Burton Books for about four quid each. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've worked in DWM every month. Yeah. Well, it's not Burton Books, it's Who Won Now, yeah. isn't it? But, but, you know, hey, for a shameless free plug, right, excellent service. I'm really. told that I'm told I, I have used them many times, and, and they're tremendous. So there you go, there's a, there's a free plug for Who Won. Honestly, yeah. it's a brilliant site. They do multi. They used to do multi buys on. Um, a couple of years ago, I decided to collect up every cover variant for all the Target books, and Burton's, you know, who won whatever they're called, had a, a multi buy where you could buy like you know three of the tar- five of the Target novels like fifteen quid or whatever. And I just plugged gaps. I was like, right, I'm going to get this today. This payday, I'm going to get this five. You know, and it was it was great fun. Um, so yes, strong recommend there. There's a bit of a free yeah. plug. So let's move on then with. Uh did you read Room With No Doors which sets things up for Long Barrow did I read Room With No Doors 
I think I remember reading about it, but not actually... Yeah. Is that another Kate Orman one? It is Kate Orman, set, basically I, setting things up for Long Barrow where the Doctor's on his own. I can't remember. That's It's basically the, the idea... This is where the Doctor's old personalities go, isn't it? That's right, Dave. Right, OK. So without any spoilers then, tell us tell us your thoughts on Room With No Doors then, Ken. I really enjoyed it the first time I read it. It's got Japanese kind of feel to it, which The Room With No Doors to me does have a samurai kind of... Oh, because Chris is on the cover with the... Samurai yeah, gear on right. as well, yeah. which would explain why I associate it with samurais. Of course. And I, I really enjoyed it at the time. I remember thinking, yep, this is good. It's The Doctor knows that the end is nigh. And it's yeah, it, it goes right. it, it goes places. It's it's not one that I dislike. I think of it fond. I think of it in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And then Long Barrow itself, which I know you haven't read. Yeah, which but, is insane. Why haven't I read Long Barrow? There's After so much in Long time. Barrow. It's very much exposing an awful lot of the Cartmel master plan while not answering anything. Right. And there's some really good character stuff in there. Does Ace it, is back. Does it finish? With the Doctor heading off to Scarrow to collect the Master's remains. That is correct. Really, it, it does. does. The Doctor actually goes does. off. Right. Yep. So it's quite an interesting... And then, then the Dying Days one. picks up on the other end. Yes. From, right. Where you've got a very excited... Let's talk Dying Days because it is, yes, quite I frankly, have, did, one of my favourite... I did cheat and read Dying Days, I remember. I remember, actually, I, it was a while after I read it, after it came out that I read it. I think I was actually at HMV by that point, which means it must have been about early summer 1998 when I finally when I, when I read it. And I remember um, very clearly Bernice being in the house in Allen Road and the TARDIS landing and Bernice being I suppose another way shocked, surprised, hurt that it wasn't her doctor and the doc and the eighth doctor has that brilliant line. He's so casual the way he just declares, Oh yeah I've changed my appearance since we last met and you know, which was amazing because it was so the relationship that they built up. And then of course the the other bit at the end with Bernice and the Doctor which will draw a curtain over. Yeah, because they certainly <laughs> did. Yeah, which but, but for me it's, I think it was a great book. I think you've got the fact we've got the ice warriors there, the fact you've got them with cover and the, I think the term was Sigalified. So you've right. got these updated ice warriors. It's set in a recognizable location. Mm. We've got the Tower set, of London. It was set on the day the license expired, That's wasn't right, it? Yep. Yeah. You've got um, Martian Space Probe You've got a group of ice warriors. You've got the Doctor falling from the sky yeah, that's with bin bags to save yeah, himself. Yeah, that's what I remember. I remember that because I remember them. I remember the interviews at the time. I don't know if it was with the author or whoever the editor, or if it was Rebecca Levine or whatever. But they talked about his um one aspect he got of him from the TV movie was his sort of improvisational thinking on the spot. So yeah, with um curtain rings, bin bags, and helium. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. For me, it was it was a perfect signed off. I absolutely loved it. Mm. I remember buying. I bought two copies at the time. One for right. my then girlfriend at the time. So yes, it was a. I think it was a great way to sign off a great range, which mm. is very much its own self-contained era of Doctor Who. Paul Cornell says it's his favourite, mm. and I can get that because it very yeah. much has its own flavour. Absolutely, and it's it's all. It seems to have, I've noticed like a, a bit of a trend on Twitter in the last year or two. It's become almost trendy in certain areas to slag it off. And I get quite defensive because, you know, I, you know, admittedly I was a bit stop and start, but I was there for the bulk of it. You know, there was there was a time when I was reading them as they were being published, and it was it was the current series for want of a better way. But I was completely invested. Yep, I was the same. Both financially and emotionally and intellectually, you know, it was um, it was the real deal. Yeah. I'm always a bit disappointed when I, when I hear about people that don't think of them as fondly. Yeah, the thing that, I mean, as you say, they're being invested in them because this isn't easy, easily presented stuff that you get on the telly or you find it and watch and repeats like that. Of course. You had to go out of your way to go and yes. find these books and they weren't always in bookshops. Mm-hmm. I used to get a standing order when I started working in Bururi up in Aberdeenshire yeah. to the Bururi bookstore to get my new and missing adventure yeah, no, every month. I remember month. For, once I started doing the Sundays for Stephen for Forbidden Planet, I bought the bulk of them in there, but I remember they would, I would get them in Waterstones and various WH Smiths or John Menzies if it was at that point, you know, yeah. variously, yeah. But the thing that, I mean, was this was a case of if you wanted a Doctor Who story, you had to invest you at least four effort. or five hours into it. Yeah. It wasn't a case of Doctor Who's presented for you. Mm. Here you are, you mm. take it, you run with it. Mm-hmm. You had to go out and find it. Absolutely. You had to buy it. You had to read it and you had to follow it and make sure that you enjoyed it. Yeah. If you could. Yeah. And once the Missy Adventure started and the, you know, we haven't really talked too much about the world building and... The, the, the use of continuity which went on in the new adventures and the missing adventures and, and at the time you know I've, I've become a bit resistant my old age to continuity implants and, and retcons and all that and, and tie-ins and all that sort of stuff but in my early 20s I was all about it you know and it was there was some really really good stuff you know department C19 and all that sort of stuff you know and 
and the way that all the the future stuff from like Colony in Space and Frontier in Space and TV was tied together in books like Lucifer Rising and yep. and that sort of thing. I mean, it was it was cracking. And as you say, you had. It, I think the reason we it's so important to us is because we we invested. You had to. It was a it was a commitment to follow these these titles. And I think maybe there's there's some other fans who maybe weren't doing it at the time, so maybe don't have that that level of appreciation. I think. Yeah. And I think particularly for fans in the 21st century, it's easy enough to go and dip, you know, pay for your big finish and download it or whatever yeah. and listen to it. But this is actually a case of you had to make the time to read it and to mm. follow it. Whereas if you miss something in a in a big finish adventure, you can just go back and listen to the episode again. Yeah. Whereas if this was the, in these books, if you miss something, it could be something really minor and you had to go back and find what yeah. it was. I mean, I remember um, I'd be reading on, on, on my commute to work. I'd be reading them. I would walk up to Queen's Park from Victoria, the Victoria Road Abbey and I would sit on the benches over Yinst and um, in the sunshine during the summer I remember you know I remember when I wasn't working between Stateside and the Abbey sitting up till 3 o'clock in the morning reading stuff like the left-handed hummingbird and blood heat and things really I totally locked down it's, I remember when I was a few years ago I built some new bookcases at home and I was rearranging everything and going through the new missing adventures it was very intense very nostalgic you know your life flash your not my whole life but very specific points of my life sort of flashing before my eyes it's the they're of a time, you know what I mean? And I've very, very fond memories of them. Yeah, I agree. I think they're great. And um, so yes, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. We nostalgia through the 90s. We haven't Definitely. even got to the club scene in Ibiza and such like. But that's another <laughs> story for another time. And, the thing is, and we've scratched the surface. We could have sat down and, and with a full list of all the books and share our thoughts on each of them. Maybe we'll do that one day if we run out of other things to talk about. Yep. But I think, if I everyone think, else is bored and I think, dead. I think that's what we'll do for the Missing Adventures. We'll sit yep. down with the list and, and go through them. But no, yep. listen, aye, this, it's, been, it's been nice thinking about this, actually. Yeah. 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 It's remi- reminded me of... Because I've said, I've, I've got a bit jaded in some ways with Doctor Who now because of the, ma- the absolute massive behemoth that it's become. But in those days, it was a simpler time because it was... It was a much more intimate way of processing your Doctor Who because you're reading the books on your own. You probably didn't know too many other people who were reading them, so there wasn't as much of a sense of discussion. It was very much a personal, private Doctor Who universe almost. Yep. Well, if you've got any thoughts on what your favourite new adventures are, absolutely. make sure you drop us a line. You know you can find us on Twitter at Power of 3 pod You can find us on our Facebook page, remember to like us, and you can share your thoughts on which ones you read, which ones you haven't read. Um, if there's any ones that you think we should actually go back and discuss maybe a bit more fully in depth I would be more than happy to because I bloomin' love them (laughs) absolutely it seems appropriate now that we finish we're going to be played out by a record that's mentioned in one of the books Dave, sign us off I've been Kenny, peace out man and I've been David, take care this is the absolutely untouchable Isley Brothers with this old heart of mine